okay, this isn't the movie and this isn't the book. It's not as good as them. Okay, can we now just discuss this yeah, TV I... show? Oh god, here we go. Content warning, rape and sexual assault are discussed in the episode. Also spoiler warning for the Miss TV series. Here's some more crap. episode 14 of the horror of babylon i am ryan and with me as always is daniel say hi daniel hi daniel today we are discussing the mist tv series from 2018 on the spike network and uh originally we covered this or the first episode of it during our episode uh, a couple weeks ago on the adaptations of the mist and the original intent was we were just going to watch the first episode because we were told that it was very bad and we honestly didn't really want to sit through 10 episodes of it because we just watched all those uh, episodes of The Stand. It was gonna, we felt it would be another like slog fest. Yeah. And then we both liked the first episode <laughs> yeah. more than expected and uh, we, we had a free week so we figured we, we'd watch the rest of it and go ahead and give it a review and just kind of jumping in there, I'm going to say that for me, this is another lesson and take reviews with a grain of salt. Like watch them, watch things and read things and form your own opinions. I, uh, I also support that. Usually I can tell if I like something in the first couple episodes, but you should at least give it, give, give something a swirl, you know? Yeah. And I'm not saying that, you know, a lot of shows are out there and people will say, well, it really finds itself in the fourth season. Yeah, no. like, yeah, but I don't want to sit through the first three. We'll just skip them. And like, no, I can't do that either. I, I will also say, uh, as horror fans, we don't have a lot of uh, TV shows. Yeah, and I'm actually not a huge TV person. Yeah. Most of what I watch is sci-fi, fantasy, and, you know, the occasional horror anthology series. Mm -hmm. So I, I was happy to watch this. And honestly, even though the quality is admittedly lower than most like event television these days mm -hmm. it kept my attention better than the majority of tv i've seen in the past few years i would say it kept my attention better than like the last six seasons of the walking dead so yeah i i haven't watched the walking dead in a, a long time after season two don't bother <laughs> no i've watched i think i've watched the first six or seven seasons oh dang dude you made it further than me <laughs> well i lost I lost interest when the comic book ended. Yeah. Because w when the comic book stopped, I was just like, oh, The Walking Dead's over. And like, no, the show's still on. No, The Walking Dead's over. Yeah, it's done now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I that that's a whole other tangent, that show. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our first section where we're going to give a little bit of background on the show, talk about its development. So this show was actually announced right after the movie was done and of course the movie was in 2007 and they're both 
were produced by the Weinstein Company, which is, is pretty high-profile Hollywood-producing company. With no controversies whatsoever. None. None at all. And the original intent, when it was announced, was for it to actually be a ten-part miniseries, <coughs> which is actually kind of what we got. Yeah. Um, of course, it was supposed to be a TV series. After that, they decided to make a TV series, but it was canceled after the first season. It was developed by Christian Torp, who joined the production in 2015. He's a very highly acclaimed Danish TV writer. I looked up his IMD page, uh, but it's all Danish shows, and I'm like, oh. Yeah, yeah what do you make of that? Yeah. Uh, the fact that he's Danish explains a couple things to me, but we can get to that later. Uh, Spike got involved in 2016, and production began. It was filmed in Canada, and it had a budget of 23 million Canadian dollars, which I'm going to actually just convert that to American in today's money real quick. We're going to convert that to real money. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> At least it's not a Russian ruble. Okay, so in 2022, that would be 18 and a... Wait a minute. Yeah, 18 and a quarter million dollars. So, Not bad. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty big budget for 10 episodes of a TV show. It's a respectable budget, especially for then. And then, of course, like we said, it was canceled after the first season. The pilot had great ratings, as you would expect a pilot for any Stephen King TV series to have. But then it had ratings plummeted after that, and it was, it was soon canceled. There's actually a Change.org petition that has over 20,000 signatures for Netflix to pick it up and do a season two. I I don't think that'll ever happen. I don't know if 20,000 is a lot for signatures. I, I don't have anything to compare it to. The only thing that I can say is we do live in a world where we got the Snyder Cut. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> so release the Mistverse. These things happen <laughs> yeah, all the time. They now. happen now, yeah. I mean, we got more episodes of Animaniacs, Futurama's coming back for the third time. So don't give up hope. Yeah. <laughs> you 20,000 fans. I mean, I didn't sign it. If I thought it would help, I sure, I'd put my name on there. But <laughs> would I like a season two? Yes. Is it is it the, at the top of my list of things that I want to see? I probably would even settle for like an hour and a half special just to wrap things up. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Or even like, God, if they did like a, got contracted somebody to write a novella. Yeah. Or hell, throw it to King. Hey, King, we'll give you $10 million if you spend a week writing a, a sequel to this. <laughs> and you can do anything you want. <laughs> Have him write with the Danish guy. Uh, Half the book's in Danish. Okay, so we're going to jump into structure and themes. And the show functions around three different groups of people. So we're going to kind of filter our discussion through these three different groups because I think the actual the themes in the story are different depending on what group of people you're with. And those groups are the mall, the church, and then we have a group of people who are actually moving between different areas in the mm -hmm. town. So we're going to start with the mall. It had a very Dawn of the Dead feel to yeah. me. It, the themes were very typical of zombie apocalypse type stories there was a subdivision of groups of the survivors there was talk about the dwindling food supply people rationing food hoarding food having to make food runs to other places 
there was a conflict about who should be leading the group, making uh, rules for the group. I think if you want something as uh, close to the original source material as possible, the Maul group is what comes closest. Right, because they're the group that's... They're the only actual group that's trapped in one place for the entire show. Yeah. Until, and, until the very And a lot episode. of the same topics that come up happen in the Maul. So, it, for me... I like that there's three different groups because you get to you have a group of people that are kind of going through the same thing that happened in the book and the movie and paying homage to that in a way mm-hmm. but then you have two other groups who get to do different things and explore some different themes yeah uh, my favorite group was the church uh, it had fewer tropes from your typical apocalypse type story there was a lot of discussion between a Christian viewing of the event and a pagan viewing of the event. As I was watching it, I was remembering what you were saying about Mrs. Carmody and how you would like in a future adaptation of The Mist if they had a Mrs. Carmody who kind of went more into like the, the pagan the pagan old, territory. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of exactly what they did with Mrs. Raven. That this was a this was a. It wasn't my like how I pictured it ideally, but it came so close. Mm-hmm. So I liked it. Uh, we're going to talk more about that when, when we, we get to the uh, church members. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then our third group is what I've titled the migrant survivors. These are the people who started in the police station. They went to the church, to the gas station, to the hospital, to various houses, and eventually at the mall. And this had more of a Walking Dead feel. Or at least the early seasons of Walking Dead, where they're they're kind of going from place to place, interacting with different survivors. I, I like that the migrant group is made up of the most level-headed and <laughs> trustworthy of the individuals yeah. who make the best choices in life. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> they, uh, I think, aside from Mrs. Raven and the the priest, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the dyna- the group dynamics in the the migrant group yeah um uh, they, they had a lot more going on yeah they did okay so we're going to jump into characters and we're going to discuss our characters in those three different groups as well except we're going to kick off with our four main characters and uh, that are the copelands they're the main family uh the dad is kevin played by morgan specter if you listened to our last episode on The Mist, we, you got an earful about what Daniel and I think of this guy. But, Daniel, did, did your opinion on him evolve over the next nine episodes? Uh, not, not really. I, uh, in fact, the, the only thing I could say in positive about him is that he's a guy who loves his kid no matter what. Uh, spoilers, even when it's not really his kid. That that was the point that kind of impressed me. Um, because you could see like that being like the breaking point, the last straw on the camel's back when he, he knew she was not his. Mm-hmm. But he didn't know that her dad was the, the cop that he's had conflict with yeah. for the entire thing. So y- you could see that like breaking another man. And it doesn't break Kevin. I, I still think that he does not deserve that world's greatest dad mug. No. Um, I I am dumbfounded by his decision-making in the first episode. It, granted, it gives us some good conflict. 
Yes. Uh, I guess I can see a dad trying to be the cool dad making the same kind of choice, but I would not want to be friends with this dad. They, However, if they wanted us to like the dad more, they could have had the girl sneak out of the house and go to the party. I, th- I think that's what they probably should have done. But then they probably... I think what they were trying to avoid doing was putting blame on a victim, which I don't think most audiences would have done anyway. No, I would not have blamed the 16-year-old girl. Yeah. But I think that's what they were going for, was they were trying to make it as much of someone else's fault as possible. Oh, we're definitely blaming the dad. Yeah, so now we can, we can blame Kevin. So I guess if you didn't listen to our last episode on The Mist and you haven't seen the show, I'm not sure why you're listening, but uh, in the first episode... Uh, their daughter, Alex, wants to go to this party with drinking and the football players and yada yada. And so she can be with her soulmate. Yeah. Her 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 uh, crush, Jay, who we're going to talk about. Um, and the mom, Eve, just says no without even letting the dad have a word in ed- edgewise, which I understand that he was upset because he was cut out of the decision, but that doesn't justify him going behind his wife's back and telling his daughter she can go to the drinking party with football players and she gets sexually assaulted. (laughs) Let's just, let's take out the party and the sexual assault from from the equation for a minute. He still, he went behind his wife. Ryan, if your daughter wanted to do something (laughs) and your wife said no. No, she's the boss. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's what I picture in my head when, the, when that was going on. I was like, I'm just trying to imagine if you tried to do this. No, no, I, I would never, <laughs> never, ever. If not, no, not out. If not out of respect for my partner, then out of fear for my life. Yeah, I don't think any man would. Not any thinking man. No, not any man that I've. I, I don't know. I think we've we've rambled about that okay. that aspect a decent amount. Uh, I don't think he. I I don't think he has all that much character growth. No, I mean it's and really it's very plot driven. It's not super character driven. Yeah. Uh it's mainly about them just surviving the situations they're in and to to his credit, he does keep himself and three other people alive for pretty much the whole show. Yeah. Uh including his daughter's best friend who spoiler alert was the one who sexually assaulted her, which he he doesn't know. I, I cannot wait to get on this character. Oh my god, Adrian. Um, okay, so moving on. Eve, which is uh, the mother, played by Alyssa Sutherland. Uh, she is like kind of that Stephen King overbearing, aggressive mom. But, you know, I'm kind of on her side. Like, I'm on her side for 90% of issues. There's one major one that I think yeah. I, I'm against her on. Well, go ahead. She should have been honest with her daughter about her dad not being her dad. Yeah. Especially if you live in a small town. Especially if your daughter's developing a crush on somebody. <laughs> who's who's spoil- her brother? <laughs> who's spoiler alert turns out to be her brother. Did you like, did you call that part too? Um, I did not. No. I, I uh I, I was calling a lot towards the end, but that was that was not one of them. And I was like, Oh, okay. I, I thought it was gonna end up being uh, Kevin's brother was the dad. Have you seen that YouTube video where uh, it it's at the end of Return of the Jedi where Leia and Han are on the Force moon, mm-hmm. and Han's like, you love him, don't you? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, okay, I understand. When he comes back, I won't get in the way. And she goes, no, he's my brother. 
and then Harrison Ford does this look, and the video edits it so it like goes into his head, and it's them making out in the off base. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I found out that Jay was her brother, it went to them roller skating and making out on roller skates in my head. I was like, oh my god. I started picturing Game of Thrones. Um, you know, I mean, that could have been a Winces situation. I think that show might the show might have even gone there. If uh, we'll get we'll get to that. This but. show went a lot of places that I would not have guessed. Yeah. Um, and I think that's actually to the show's both its benefit and its detriment, but we'll get into that more. It's benefit for me. It's probably its detriment to some other people. That's what I was going to say. Benefit to guys like us who like this weird stuff. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I'm on Alex or Eve's side for most of this. She's she's protecting her daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, she makes a lot of good decisions. She does. She is a little hard on on Jay. She she locks him up in the basement of the mall, but she thinks he raped her daughter. So yeah, I mean, how mad at her can you be? And she also knows that they're related. Yeah, so uh, that's like yeah, that's, that's like too. that's like double anger. I don't imagine I'm going to rewatch this anytime soon, but yeah. I kind of want to rewatch it now just so I can do that knowing their siblings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so moving on to Alex, who's the daughter, played by Gus Birney. Which, why would you name your daughter Gus? I mean, I mean, really. I, I don't know. That's, yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to blame that one on Kevin. I'm going to say Kevin came up with it, so we can blame him for more stuff. Uh, what, what did you think of Alex? She was fine. Um, I think that she was... There. There's parts where she's, I feel, a little dumb. Uh, but she's also a 16-year-old But girl. she's also a 16-year-old girl. Like, when she's starting to believe the person that she should assume is her rapist Mm -hmm. granted he's not yeah and uh at the same time i would not be skating around with even if i was questioning it yeah no i i think she she kind of forgives him really fast yeah uh i probably would have been more forgiving of that if this would have just been a one season show like they knew that they were going to be done and they're like well we have to move this stuff along at a brisker pace but they thought I don't know when they knew it was going to be canceled, but presumably they thought they were getting a season two. With that ending, they better have thought that. But yeah. I have things to say about that when we get there. Um, um, she's serviceable, I guess, would be the word I'd use. Some I liked some casting decisions in this, not be- necessarily because I like the actors, but uh, one, I mentioned this in the last episode... All of the high school characters look like they're in high school. Yeah, I don't know what their actual ages are, but she looked like a 16-year-old girl. Yeah. So did Adrian and Jay, they both look like high school kids. And the uh, and that's not always easy to find. And the other one, the other jock, Tyler. <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll, we'll Is Tyler on our list? I want to talk about Tyler. We're, we're, we're going to. Okay. We'll, we'll just put a note under Adrian for him. Tyler. There's a, that's another where I didn't think the show was going to go in that direction. I... I, I I thought it was going to go there when they were in the bathroom together, mm-hmm. but I didn't know like how far it was going to go. I was like, "Oh, he's going to kiss him," <laughs> and then he did it. I was like, "Oh." Okay, so let's finish with up, up with Alex so we can get to Jay. Uh, another um, thing I noticed casting wise that I really liked that, and it's just a little thing to mm-hmm. the point where you're not even sure that it's an it's intentional. Both the women who play Alex and Eve, they are both so tall. To the point where they look like mother and daughter to me. Yeah. And I don't know if that was an intentional decision by the person who did the casting. 
but there was just like shots of them like walking down the hallways in the mall where they're like almost the same height it's just like wow it really puts me in the mind that they're related yeah i didn't notice that but that's that is pretty cool uh there are times whenever they cast like a uh mother daughter father son just any sort of family dynamic where i see them and i go mm, i don't yeah. know it happens more often than you think, and it's usually because people are just trying to get name recognition. Yeah, this, and they look like they could be related. It, it is more important to get two good actors than two actors who look like each other. But when, I, I, when you can get both, it's it's great. I, I will say that I didn't think Kevin uh, looked like he they were, he was related to Alex, nope. and then it just turns nope. out, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> he's not. <laughs> so I don't know if that was even like an added layer of intelligence to that, but okay, so. Uh, moving on to our last main character, probably the one with the most to talk about, is Adrian Garf. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I'll let you kick this off. I, I will say, uh, and I will probably be the one person to have this opinion. Uh, this might be used to cancel me in the future. I think it was a brave choice to have your LGBT character be the villain. <laughs> yes, but I'm going to give this show a little bit more credit as opposed to The Stand 2020 where every major villain was homoerotic. Yeah. In this one, it's just the it's just one game. That, that's what I'm saying yeah. is that's. And I, uh, they, again, we've we've preached about this a lot. We're both very pro representation, mm -hmm. but sometimes people forget that uh, your sexuality that doesn't mean you can't be a bad guy or yep. make really bad decisions. And honestly, when I'm watching the show. Uh, not excusing, not forgiving, or anything like this, but I can see the twisted logic in the kid's head. Okay, so this, they just, once they find out, they describe him as a monster, which I think is accurate. This kid does some terrible, terrible a things. A monster. But, okay, so he's, he grows up in a house where he's repressed. His mom loves him, but she doesn't really accept him. His dad is straight up emotionally abusive. And I think he even said physically ab abusive, too. His dad will not talk to him if he's wearing makeup, period. Yeah. He, eventually, when they meet up towards the end, he says, I do not love you. I hate you. There's mm -hmm. something wrong with you. He's also bullied in school. He was beaten up, had his arm broken, and pissed on by the guy he had a crush on. Mm -hmm. how, could, how could this kid not have problems? And obviously, he probably... His, parents didn't recognize what was going on they certainly weren't getting him help he probably wasn't on medication not having therapy yeah and again these things explain but don't excuse yeah no it, it it's not okay the that he sexually assaulted his best friend that he ends up murdering people including his own father trying to murder his best friend's father who had just taken care of him through this apocalypse for the past five days and uh, for those who haven't seen the show and might not, his entire twisted logic is is he loves this girl. He's not like in love with her, it doesn't seem, mm -hmm. but it's his best friend, and he sees her like gravitating towards this jock who he considers the wrong group. Right. And so he sees an opportunity to frame up one of the jocks. And of course, everyone's going to think the jock did it because hashtag Me Too culture, you. A, you believe the victims, yep. and B, the straight white guy did it. And it's kind of a, uh, God, this is embarrassing for the dude with a criminal justice degree. 
He said it's a crime of opportunity. Right. He. They were at the party. He. She was drinking. She was with hanging out with this jock. Mm-hmm. The only the only thing about that crime of opportunity thing that doesn't work is did he just like carry those drugs around in his pocket in case he found an opportunity to drug her? Because yeah. that's how Kevin ends up finding out is when they're at their house later is he finds the drugs that was in his daughter's system. Yeah, I uh, I almost would have cut the drugs out if I was writing it and she just would have yeah, drank too much. Was, she was drunk. I mean, I I felt like that would have been better. Why did he even have to drug her? Yeah, I uh. And she's a skinny little thing, like two beers, and she's probably, like, gone. Especially if she hasn't really been to all that many parties. as Or the, any, it seemed like. Yeah, as the the show suggested. I, uh, I remember when me and Ryan watched the first episode, and I look over at Ryan and I go, I'm telling you, he's the one who did it. I wish you wouldn't have said that. <laughs> I, there's a good chance I wouldn't have picked up on it, although I was suspicious in the first episode, that scene in the bed where he's like, and they'll blame you or whatever. Like, I did mm-hmm. think that was suspicious, but I, I don't know. But yeah, it, it was almost a, uh, like a Munchausen sort of scenario of like when you poison somebody you care about so you can take care of them. Yeah. Uh, he created a rape scenario so that she would gravitate towards the one male she could trust or felt she could trust. Right. I don't know. It's, uh, I think it's very complicated doing it this direction, but I actually sort of applaud it because I think it's a reminder that anybody could end up being the bad guy. Right. Your sexual orientation doesn't mean that you're a good person or a bad person, just like your your job doesn't. Like, you know, yeah. our, our group, our generation doesn't particularly like police officers but police officers are people there are good ones there are bad ones <laughs> there's you... a there's a bad one in the show <laughs> yeah there's a real bad one who i have mixed feelings on i, I have the show i have super mixed feelings on them too i also have some theories on that but i'll get to that when we get to uh get to theories okay let's uh we'll we'll save tyler for our uh kiss me fat boy section okay because i think that fits i it, i think it does fit under kiss me fat boy better Okay. Tyler. So, so we are going on to our first group, uh, the mall, and we're going to start with Jay Heisel, who is the jock. He's the son of the sheriff. He's the one that is accused of the uh, rape on Alex. This character, I think, actually fits into a King story really well. He reminds me a lot of, I think his name is Tommy from Carrie. The, yeah. The good guy jock, who's actually just legitimately a the, good person. The jock who feels bad about everything that's happened. Yeah, exactly. I, I love that character. Uh, I remember when I was reading Carrie, I think it was back in high school, uh, when Carrie turns to him and he just sees like the natural beauty in her for the first time. Yeah, I it, love that scene. I'm it, sorry. I get, it, I, get, I get mushy over Carrie. It implies, it implies that he kind of briefly falls in love with her. Mm-hmm. Like Carrie, uh, Tommy was really the only blameless person in that story. Every other person could have some share of the blame for what happens. Uh, false rape accusations aren't something that I like to talk about very often because some people try to inflate it to, you know, victim blaming culture. Right. But to have a legitimate, innocent uh, rape accusation in a story isn't something I was expecting. No. I, this show just goes in a lot of 
directions you don't expect. Mm-hmm. And, and like Tommy and Carrie... If this was a Lifetime show, he would have been guilty. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, th- this kid is kind of blameless, and he kind of does the right thing. When, whenever like a decision comes up for him, he kind of does the right thing. He does uh, the right time. thing every time. He is the one person who is genuinely kind of an okay guy. And he gets shafted the most. Yeah, to the point where he saves Alex in the last episode and dies. Yeah. Uh, the scene in the Jeep when they're driving away and they tell his dad that he, he was innocent. He, one, his dad just found out that he he killed his kid for no reason. He was misled into doing it, but for no reason. And then he finds out his kid was innocent. Like, oh, crush. Yeah. <sighs> Um, so some more mall characters. Uh, we have Gus Bradley played by Isaiah Whitlock, who is the mall manager. Who, for me, early in the in the first few episodes, I kind of liked because I uh, like he's trying to organize everybody. He's trying to keep everybody safe, but then just turns out to be a total d bag. He's willing to kill people. He's hoarding food. Uh, that first scene where it shows him like kicking back in his office and just like. St- snacking on a granola bar while everybody else is out there rationing crackers. It's just like, what an ass. I, uh, I do think, in terms of, like, just straight acting ability, I think he did probably one of the better jobs. Yeah, and actually, I think he was one of the few actors that I actually recognized. I'm not sure what else I've seen him in, but I feel like I have seen him in something else. Yeah, a lot of these actors I don't know right offhand, uh, but I think he did a pretty good job. In terms of, you know, he was, and he kind of had to play a dual role. He had to be able to go from pretending to be a nice guy to being a douchebag. Yeah. And he, I mean, he pulled them off. Uh, one of my few criticisms of the show is there is some hokey acting here and there. Yeah, it's... Some people do a better job than others. Especially when I, I it's the, uh... It's the light switch when they have to go from being who they were introduced as to who they've been crazed into because they're isolated or uh, saw God or whatever. Has he been in anything we recognize? He was in one episode of Bojack Horseman. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a cartoon, so I wouldn't recognize him. Bojack is something you should watch, by the way. I've seen the first couple. No, I don't. He was a random voice in GTA Five. <laughs> well, I think he deserves more roles. Please come on our podcast. We'll interview you. He's in a lot of like Law and Order shows, so that's probably like where people have seen his face before. Yeah, not me specifically because that's not really my type of television. But the he was in The Wire. He was in a lot of The Wire. Another mall character is Vic, who's the the guy who owns and runs the video game store in the mall, who kind of does this weird flip where he's like the like the generic idiot guy in a horror movie that you think is just going to do something stupid and danger the group and then kind of die right off the bat. And then he kind of flips into this like survivor character. I liked him better as the survivor character. Yeah, I did too. I wish we could have seen what caused the flip. I, I don't remember like there being a defining moment other than he had to survive. They kick him out of the mall, and then the next time you see him is when he meets Kevin. And he knows how to get from place to place, and he's like, he's got his hoodie and his backpack and his baseball bat, and he looks all serious. He's running from house to house. 
I and he still kind of had that like laid back, I smoke pot attitude, but he wasn't he wasn't a dumbass. Yeah, I I do like there is one scene that I really liked with him and his friend. I don't remember his friend's name. The guy who died. Uh, where they rolled two bodies out into the mist to see what was out In there. The shopping carts, yeah. And this is another one of my, I don't know if you'd call it a criticism, but we'll get to it in a little bit about the mist when they're trying to figure out what's out there. I honestly kind of thought, well, that's kind of smart. Yeah. I, I think it's a little disrespectful, but I mean, what are you going to do? I, I feel like you're kind of past the point of, res- you know, giving a dead body a respectable burial at that point. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you couldn't go back out and get them if the if the National Guard shows up. Yeah. But if you're trying to figure out... Like, what if this mist had had giant tentacles, and that's how they found out there's giant tentacles out there? You know, that would have been a way to do it. I'm I'm all about using your resources, and I'm not... I know other people are, obviously, but I'm not super about, you know, like, a dead body has to be... I mean, they should be respect... Okay, here's a great example. I I listen to this podcast called This Day in History Class. It's on every day, and it Mm -hmm. tells you about something that happened this day in history. And a couple weeks ago, uh, there was one about Charlie Chaplin's widow. Apparently, uh, his body was exhumed and held for ransom. They dug up his body, <laughs> called his wife, and said, "Hey, you got to give us twenty thousand dollars if you want your husband's body back." And she said, "It's a dead body. You guys keep it." And hung up on them. <laughs> <laughs> and they they never like they kept calling her and harassing her. And she said, "No, I'm not giving you a dollar. He's he's up in heaven. You guys can keep that thing." I, I I I agree with her. That's how you handle that situation. Eventually, the cops set up a sting and caught them that way. She like, okay, yeah, you meet me here, and I'll give you some money, and and they got caught that way. But I just that, that's the approach I would take. I mean, it's like it's a body. It's not them. There's a reason I want to be cremated. So, um, and then another character is uh, the mom with the little girl uh, who dies. She and Alex go to read at the bookstore mm-hmm. and. And Vic and his dumbass friend leave, are trying to get the bodies back in. They leave the door open. This miss monster comes in and kills the little girl right in front of uh, her mom. Then Alex lives and everyone thinks she's a witch. <laughs> uh, I thought they were going to do more with uh, a- Alex living, like the monster not attacking her. That never really came up again that I remember. I feel like that may have been something explained in season two. Yeah. Maybe it's as simple as, well, it just fed on the little girl and it doesn't need to feed again. Or maybe that if you believe Mrs. Raven and the whole Black Spring thing, and this was all started because she was assaulted by Adrian, maybe because she's the victim, she's not affected by the mist. But then well, the mist tries to attack, attack her, her in yeah. the last episode. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like it could have been explored more. I was hoping it was going to be. Yeah. Uh, I definitely wondered why she didn't get attacked. I thought killing the little kid... I, I'm always like, oh, cool, they're, they're actually wanting to kill the children in this horror movie. So Yeah, it was it was rough to watch, but not not nearly as bad as something like Pet Cemetery, where it's like super realistic, something that could happen. Yeah, that was that, that's always painful. But I definitely like felt for the mom, and I don't blame her for like going nuts. I, I don't blame her for going nuts. Her trying to catch Alex on fire as a form of revenge I thought was kind of dumb. But it gave my boy Jay more time to shine to rescue her. Yeah, he gets a, he grabs the uh, the fire extinguisher and burns his hand on it. Because I, I knew I saw him reach on for her. I was like, oh my god, that thing's going to be flaming hot. Yeah, but like, what are you going to do? Yeah, I, I know. 
Oh my goodness. Okay, so moving on to the church, uh, which was, I I probably thought had like the most interesting story, like in a, in a nutshell. If you look at the three different groups individually, mm-hmm. I, I really like what was going on at the church. Um, and of course, our first character is Mrs. Raven, Natalie Raven, played by Frances Conroy. Uh, what did you think of her? I liked her. Uh, I don't know if you call it a slow descent into madness. Slow for the show. It's slow for the show. Yeah. Um, because even like right off the bat, she notices something's amiss whenever a mist. <laughs> whenever <laughs> the animals are like fleeing. She's like the first person, to, and she goes and does research. So they sort of set that up for her, to, for it to be like her uh, focal point. If you're gonna go crazy, this is what you're gonna focus on. And then her husband gets shot in the mist because somebody's going crazy out there. Because in this show, the mist doesn't just have things out there. If it really does at all, I have theories on that. Yeah, it, it makes people go nuts. Yeah. So I didn't understand that. Uh, sorry, Bixby. <laughs> You're not on the podcast. But shoots her husband right on the face. That was rough. And then she's already grieving. She's already struggling. And then she just decides she's going to commit suicide. And then she sees someone else die in the mist. But, like, sees it as beautiful. Aside from Jay, I think she's one of the... They spent a lot more of the time on writing her. Is what it feels like. It, it feels like they're like, this is our, like you said, our Mrs. Carmody. Mm-hmm. This is the person that's going to uh, drive a lot of this. I was honestly surprised when they killed her off in the season finale. I, I thought for sure they were going to set her up for like an overarching villain. Yeah, that, I was going to ask, is she the villain? I think anybody who goes, hey, we should kill this kid who hasn't had a fair trial is a villain. Yeah. Uh, she also left two people to be eaten alive by rats because that's what nature wants. That was probably the scariest thing <laughs> yeah. for me in the show. Uh, I think she's cuckoo bananas. She probably <laughs> needs a doc. Cuckoo for cocoa puffs. She needs a doctor more than she needs a prison cell. Yeah. Um, but I would say that... Uh, Not to mention uh, barring the door of the church and burning everybody alive. Alive. Because she, they just wouldn't go with them. And... I'm sitting there like, how's that natural? How's that part? It's not I, would, like, I wouldn't have gone with her. It's not like you're eating their bodies or something, like something that might happen in it. Because her whole point is, we need to return things to that we're animals, and we need to be like animals and be one with nature. We need to return uh, Earth to its natural order. But like setting people on fire with kerosene, that's... Well, every, <laughs> every act of destruction is an act of creation. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I I think aside from Adrian, she's the clo- she swings the closest in that uh that D and D evil spectrum. Yeah, I thought they did a really good job establishing her relationship with her husband, mm-hmm. making it clear that you know they had no kids. They had been together since they were very young. They really only had each other, and it makes like her like breaking when he dies super believable yeah no all of that's great i I think everything she does is great in this show but i I do think that i don't like to use the word objective so but in lieu of a better word she's objectively closest thing to a villain that the show had other than adrian i agree no i think the two of them are are the villains unless you want to do like 
the Arrowhead project is probably a villain. The Mist is a villain. But it, in terms of characters, it, it, it'd be Adrian and Mrs. Raven. Mm-hmm. Although, I would say that Father Romanoff comes kind of close. Father Romanoff comes kind of close. He just dies too soon to take I, a lot of that spotlight. Before we actually talk about him, I think he probably has like the best death in the show. The four horsemen riding out of the mist, firing uh, an arrow on a rope, piercing him through the heart, and then dragging him off into the mist. I will say I applaud his conviction. He's, yeah. It's even his idea. He's like, yeah, we'll go out into the mist, and whoever's God decides should live, that's the one who gets to go. I, I would say faith is his defining factor. Yeah. Um, to the point where he's willing to let an old lady get beaten up. <laughs> but I think the scene with him and Adrian, I don't know if... I think it was on purpose. But there was... I felt sexual tension in that scene. The baptismal? The baptismal scene. It felt very homoerotic. I don't know if it was on purpose. I read it as super homoerotic. I didn't get that, but that doesn't mean it wasn't there. Maybe it's just because I, I grew up in a Catholic family. So And, and I didn't. <laughs> But, I mean, he definitely, like, exerts an amount of control over young men. Adrian and also his, uh, his, not choir boy, the page boy. Um, there's... The one who he gets, gets to beat up, Miss, or uh, try to beat up Mrs. Raven. I, I'm sure there's a term for this. And I'm not trying to be insensitive, but there is a stereotype of an older man with a younger man in homosexual relationships. I can't remember what that's called in that sub-community. Like, bears are their own thing, and twinks. Yeah, yeah I don't know what it is. But, but I'm aware of it being a thing. Uh, the Spartans even sort of practiced it. Though they practiced it through force, so... All of you God of War fans, this has something about Kratos. We are, we are Googling it now out of sensitivity. Well, the first term that came up is pedestry, so... What is a gay chicken hawk? (laughs) (laughs) The term chicken hawk is used as gay slang to refer to an older man who chases after younger males. Okay, so the priest would be a chicken hawk. (laughs) (laughs) I think they need better slang. (laughs) So we have bears and chicken hawks. (laughs) Okay. Chicks and chicken hawks. I guess that's what we're going with. I don't want to Google this anymore. Uh, I I didn't get the sense that there was a uh, homosexual relationship. I I don't think that there was a homosexual relationship. I felt that the scene had, like, homoerotic undertones. Like, it was filmed in that way. Well, more talking about Father Romanoff's relationship with with the other kid. That seemed to be more like a control thing. Yeah, I think in terms of just storytelling, it was... He wasn't molesting the guy. No. I'm not suggesting that. I think he was a hyper-controlling priest. For me, the most interesting conflict in the whole show, maybe aside from, like, you know, the Jay, Adrian, Alex thing, mm-hmm. was the conflict between Father Romanoff and Mrs. Raven, the Christian explanation of what's going on versus the pagan explanation. Uh, but we'll, we'll get on that more when we get to our religion section. Yeah. So our other major character from the church is Sheriff Connor Heisel, who's played by Darn Petty. Uh, he, Jay's dad, is also Alex's dad, which you don't find out till very late in the show. Uh, an old flame of Eve's 
constantly in conflict with Kevin. Originally, he's at the police station when everything starts, and he gets in his car, and he's supposed to wait for Kevin to go get Adrian and the other people, but he abandons them at the police station and goes to the church where he's at for the majority of the show. He's at the church. Uh, and for me, like, I really, really, really hated this character, like, right off the bat and for the first few episodes. And then in, like, the middle few episodes, he's in this, like, strange, like, melancholy, reflective place where you don't really know what he's going to do. And then he just kind of becomes Mrs. Raven's, like, first apostle. Yeah. To the point where she convinces him that they can solve everything by killing his son because this is the second Black Spring, because Jay assaulted Alex by killing him. It'll undo everything, send everything back to normal. And he's like, okay, yeah, I'll kill my son. I think I would have liked him more if he would have been a little bit more questioning of her. <laughs> but it, it's still weird. Like, his character just kind of, I don't want to say changes, but... I, I have theories on that, but I'm waiting until we get to some of the later sections for it. Okay, that's fine. Well, we can table him. Because back. it kind of... Uh, it doesn't just include him. It's my theories in terms of everything that's going on. Okay. All right, so moving on to our last group of characters, which is made up of Kevin and Adrian, who we've already discussed, but then also Brian or Jonah and Mia. Mm -hmm. uh, so just first in general, like this group of characters that's going from place to place, how did you feel about that story as it compares to what's going on in the church versus what's going on in the mall. I think Brian slash Jonah's dog getting murdered in the opening scene of the show was actually sort of strong. Yeah. Um, Amnesia is a subplot I've never been a big fan of. No. Um, I think it kind of works here. It, it kind of works, especially when they're doing the flashbacks and they're showing something that could have affected his brain. Yeah. Um, but typically, if people ask me for writing advice, I go, Amnesia is kind of weak. That's I think a you TV can do trope. I think that's overplayed. I think you can do amnesia for like a couple days, but in terms of like getting your whole name wrong and not being able to remember where you've been for weeks, he did get little bits of it back. Yeah, like when he met the real Brian in the hospital. I um, it it makes it hard to get a read on his character. He seems like a good dude, but my big theory for the show is that he was going to be revealed to be the big bad responsible for literally everything. Well, so. he, here's the thing, like, I think of all the characters we've discussed, he is the one we know the least about yeah. and would have presumably found out the most about in season two. Yeah. But um, that, that was my big theory, was if somebody, if it was one person's responsibility to release the mist, my guess was it was going to be him. Yeah. The What did you think about uh, him getting, like, uh, captured at the mall and then you find it like the point where it reveals who he is uh, and the other soldier like salutes him yes sir and he like orders the guy to cut him loose and then all of a sudden the other guy's following his orders i thought that was a little weak uh mostly just because the uh the salute when you when the person you're talking to literally has no clue what's going on is a is a little weird was he hoping the salute would trigger his memories and was he hoping that following his orders would help trigger some memories i don't the, i don't know it was weird but i do think it's interesting like if you're if you're a soldier and you're it, you're on the lowest rung you're a private and you're interacting with your commanding officer 
And your but, other two friends hung themselves. Yeah, but your commanding officer doesn't remember they're your commanding officer, but they're still your commanding officer. Like, I don't know what the protocol is there. Like, you still... I don't know. I, I'm not in the military, so I don't know. I write about military characters a lot, but I just make up bullcrap. Just make up shit. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's called an artistic license. Okay, and then moving on to our last character, Mia Lambert, played by Danica Kirkick. Uh, she was probably the character at the beginning that I, I didn't know, like, what the hell is going on with this character. And then she was, I say, pretty well fleshed out throughout the story. You you found out a lot about her background, and she was she was developed not as much as some of the other characters, but more than a lot of other characters. Uh, what, what did you think of Mia? And she was also just fine. Uh, I don't have strong feelings about her. I, uh... I liked the scene with, like, uh, where the mist is making her hallucinate her mom. I, I liked her relationship with uh, Brian slash Jonah. Um, I actually think that that developed relatively decently. No, I thought it was believable. One, you have two broken people in... A high-stress situation. A high-stress situation who figure out that they can rely on each other and are kind of learning to trust people. Like, it, it worked for me. And it was a slower burn than Alex forgiving her supposed rapist. Yeah, I mean, they didn't really, like, hook up until the eighth episode, I think, is when they and did And then she kind of asked him to run away with her. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I have all this money, what would you do? I thought that was kind of a cute... I thought that scene was cute. Yeah, and then, you know, he he gets the opportunity to go to the Arrowhead Project and maybe find out who he is. And what's going on. Yeah, it, right after she says, hey, will you run away with me? The next time you see each other, she's like, oh, I'm not going with you anymore. Yeah. So that kind of leads up to season two, like what's going to happen with them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're not going to know, but... <laughs> um, and then, of course, if your theory is right, that he ends up being, like, the commanding officer of the Arrowhead Project, then what does that mean for his relationship with her? Um, okay, so ooh, were there there are a lot of characters in this show, and I tried to cut There's our list. a lot of sub characters. Yeah, were there any other ones you wanted to talk about before we moved on? I thought I thought Mrs. Carmody getting killed off in the first episode was kind of funny. Yeah, I think that was the most obvious. Hey, we're telling our own story, sort of signal. The way I heard it um, explained in before I watched it, a Stephen King podcast did. They talked about it a little bit on their movie episode, and now it's obvious to me that they didn't actually watch it, mm-hmm. because they said that it's a story about the mist that takes place in the same town, just about different characters. That's how I would have written the show. But it's not that. But, at but all. that's not what it is. One, the mist itself is different. Two, they kill Mrs. Carmody in the it, first episode. It, 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 that is an objectively untrue statement. Yeah, it, so it's obvious to me now that they didn't actually watch it before they talked about they, it. But... They read the cliff notes on Wikipedia. Yeah. Scary shit. Scary shit. It is time to talk about scary shit. What shit was scary? What shit was not? It is time to talk about scary shit. Okay, so, uh, moving on to scary shit. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is the mist itself. How is it different? Did it work? Did it did, did not work? Uh, go ahead. Okay, uh, I think I told you this in a messenger on my way here, or maybe it was when we were sitting before the pre-show. Mm-hmm. I get my date. I have goldfish brain. Uh, that this sort of reminded me is 
in a creative writing class, you give your class an assignment. You have to write about this. This is the premise. You have to include a character named Mrs. Carmody. It has to take place in a small town in Maine. Maine. And this is the premise. Mm -hmm. And Stephen King came up with the missed creature feature, and this came up with missed uh, sexual rape allegory. Yeah. Um, that That's what it reminded me of. Uh, you could have called the show almost anything else, but then you wouldn't have been able to sell it. The mist itself, there's not like really creatures in this. You there's get, not get, monsters. You get, you get some animals acting sort of weird. There are like there is there are like bugs. Yeah, and then maybe four horsemen that seemed to have that. That seemed like that was like the priest's interpretation of what he was going to see in the mist, and it seemed to have a physical reaction, but. Like, you don't really know because they were both in the mist. Mia saw her mom mm. because, you know, it, it's kind of like Pennywise. Where she, that's her fear was, like, her her bad relationship with her mom. The priest is afraid of revelations, so he sees that, the four so horsemen. He, see, he sees the four horsemen. Yeah. My biggest interpretation and my biggest fan theory is... And the only thing that kind of contradicts this is Mrs. Carmody getting dragged out of the mist after getting her jaw ripped off. Yeah. And there's a few witnesses to that, so it's hard for me to explain this. But if you disclude that, I think everything else in the show just says that there is nothing out It's just the mist. The mist itself is the living thing, and it's fucking with people's heads. What about um, the guy who had a, a bug bear go into his ear and then had a moth come out of his back, out of his the tattoo in his Everybody back. who saw that went out into the mist. Yeah. So the mist just, they could, they could start seeing the same things or it could make them see whatever it wanted. And anyone who breathes in, my big theory is, anyone who breathes in the mist is permanently affected. That's why everyone in the church starts having their uh, switches flipped. It's why... Uh, characters start getting more aggressive or making poorer decisions. It's not just starving. It's not just uh, being in a stressful situation. The ninth meal. They've they've inhaled essentially a poison, and it's permanently messed up their mind to larger degrees the more time they spend out in the mist. That was my big theory for the show. Okay. Yeah, I, I like that explanation of it. I wasn't trying to overthink it. Like, it was, it was def. It's definitely different. Yeah. Because in the book, it is a mist that yeah, has monsters. It's a mist that has monsters in it. Yeah. The, the mist is kind of otherworldly, but the mist itself doesn't really do anything. Right. And it's tr that's true in this one, too. Yeah. Um, unless, you know, unless your theory is correct, then it does. Another difference is the mist kind of has tides where it's thicker and where it's uh, weaker. Mm -hmm. Where when it's weaker, you can kind of go out and travel more safely. I, for me, that was more of like a plot device. We need the characters to be able to move through yeah. the mist. Unless we're going to do the exact same thing that the book and the movie did, we need our characters to move to different locations, and we're going to have a group of characters where that's their whole thing, is they go to various places throughout I the town. The, I thought the most clever solution around traveling through the mist happened with the church characters, where they're like, let's just go in the sewers sewer, underneath, yeah. the, underneath the church. Mm -hmm. Not everyone has access to a sewer, but I thought that was the most clever we need characters to be traveling through this dangerous, mist-covered town. Mm -hmm. And they did give, like, other explanations, aside from the tide thing. Like, there was mm. 
older cars that didn't have circuit boards would work as opposed to newer cars. Mm -hmm. There was the whole like house hopping thing where like we go out, we run three houses down, we jump in a house, we wait. Yeah. Uh, like, they they tried to come up with creative solutions, but they ran out of them, and they're like, okay, the mist has to be weaker in some spots. Yeah. Which, I think it worked for the show. I think, but if you if you put that one aspect of it under a magnifying glass, is it's not great. It, it's a little weaker, yeah. But it, it worked. It was fine. Um, so just in general, was this show scary? Did it scare you? I don't think it scared me. I think there were some parts that disturbed me. Uh, I think we were both disturbed after the first episode because we did not see the the high school date rape coming at all. Like that's not what we were walking. We were walking in probably expecting like a cheaper looking creature feature, and what we got was high school date rape. The the scary or disturbing parts for me were what the people did to each other. Mm -hmm. That one obviously, the priest. Uh, letting his choir boy beat up Mrs. Raven, or try to. Uh, being eaten alive by rats. That it, was, for me, that was like the scariest part. Yeah. Uh, being eaten is one of my worst fears. Yeah. Uh, my worst fear would be being like swallowed whole. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you and I share that fear. Yeah, but I don't know. I think that lying in a sewer with a broken leg or with a stab wound in your in your gut and just being swarmed by rats. That that would oh. be that'd be a horrible way to go. I, I really thought that the cop was just gonna push her off the ladder and then he stabbed her in the gut and I was like, yeah. Oh, that's so much worse. And that's kind of where he kind of loses his uh there I, I'm a guy who's like I think that even some of the most horrible characters can be redeemed. Mm -hmm. Uh sometimes redemption is gonna mean that you have to spend the rest of your life in prison or something. But at that point I'm like you kind of make it hard for you to have a redemption arc, bro. Yeah, as a Star Wars fan, I, I can never say no characters can't be redeemed. Yeah. <laughs> Freaking Ben Solo. Well, we're not getting on that. Okay, so uh, while we're on the sewer scene, talking about sexual tension, the scene, like, after the cop does that and he, like, sits down with Mrs. Raven. And I thought they were going to fuck. I really, really thought they were going to have that sex. Was another, that was With the rat. That was another one of those. It to me, it felt filmed very similarly to the the baptism scene. Yeah, with a lot of sexual. I think that one was even more explicit. Very. I was like, I think I thought for sure she was going to pull out her titty and he was going to feel start the rat, pet it. Yeah, that's what I nurse thought. it my breast. I thought that was going to happen. Yeah, I, I really did too. And maybe like in a in an NC-17 version, that's what they would have done. Maybe that they wanted us to think that was what happened. And maybe it did happen just off-screen. Netflix picked this season up. <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> <do that. laughs> just, just record just that scene. And, and for full disclosure, we did watch the uh, the television version of this that did like bleep out the F-word. So I don't know if like the DVD cut had more, but as far as I know, it didn't. Yeah. It's really hard to find tertiary sources on this show like if you i looked and i could not find like what they intended for season two no it, it it's hard to find anything that isn't people on youtube just yelling that this show is trash that that's really all i could find i i honestly wanted us to open this episode with something but i forgot to <laughs> and i was gonna say okay this isn't the movie and this isn't the book it's not as good as them. Okay, can we now just discuss the yeah, TV I, show? That's the thing is <laughs> you have to set them apart in your mind. Yeah. It, 
if you think of this as an adaptation of Stephen King's novella, The Mist, it's never going to live up. It's never going to be good. And if you compare it to the movie, it's never going to live Right. For me, this is in the same realm as, like, Maximum Overdrive, Pet Cemetery 2. Like, you just got to treat it... Treat it as his own separate thing and it, have fun. And, and there's some silliness to it, but there's also some good stuff in this. Yeah, I mean, there are... I don't want to say that it's just, oh, it's just a B-movie and it's fun because it's it's stupid. There are some qual... There is some quality writing. Yeah. There is some good character moments. I legitimately was, like, almost tearing up in the church where Mrs. Raven does, like, the tribute for her husband. And like... And even though we had money, we still drank cheap wine. Yeah. I, was, I was like, man, that was I'm, cute. I'm getting the feels. Um, uh, where were we at? <laughs> okay. I got uh, us sidetracked for a minute. Uh, scary shit. Uh, so I thought it had a really good use of pests, like rats, spiders, snakes, yeah. cockroaches, snakes. And, like, and that was part of my uh, like overall uh, theory. Like when you see like bugs and stuff entering people. It's also messing with the bugs. Yeah. And it's messing, but it's not really mutating them except for that one scene where the guy kind of grows moth wings. But it's kind of just the flaps of his skin. Like, you, you, what's really going on there? But it's making animals act bonkers. They're running away from it from the get go. Uh, the snakes crawling over the dude got me in the, uh, the last episode. Yeah, there were a lot of cool deaths uh, for the, the mall people. And just on that, really quick, like, I. I realized what Kevin was going to do. As soon as he stopped the Jeep, I was like, oh my god, he's going to back into the doors, and that's so cool. It's almost what I wanted them to do to the uh, the supermarket and the, the short store. <laughs> uh, it, that's probably one of those things where King saw it, and he's like, oh my gosh, I wish I would have thought of that. <laughs> Good luck, everybody else. Which is, it's kind of, it's kind of says something about Kevin, where there were innocent people in there that mm-hmm. died because of what he did. There are also a lot of bad people. Um, it was it was just cool. It looked awesome. It, yeah. If the if they hadn't shown some people being conflicted about throwing other people out, but like, what you're outvoted? What are you gonna you're gonna get thrown out with them? Yeah, and I mean, I, you, but I guess there is a lot of Germans who said that back in the day that, too. That's so. what I was gonna say. These people who were innocent, they were also they also they were made bystanders. The, they made their choice. They didn't do anything. If, you know, in World War Two, if you were a German citizen and you had Jewish neighbors that were taken by the Gestapo, and if you had the opportunity to hide them and you didn't, then you share some of the blame. Yeah. Okay, that's getting a little too real. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I think there's a certain level of applicability to it, though, and I honestly think that part of that's intentional in the show. And earlier we discussed kind of, you know, the scariest things were the things that people did to each other, the, the sexual assaults, the uh, how uh, people were keeping secrets from each other, uh, just those various things. So I don't really feel like we need to go over that again. Yeah. Uh, just real quick before we leave Scary Shit, what was your favorite death? My favorite death? I, I said mine earlier was Father Romanoff. I thought that was just great. I guess they didn't show them die, but the the implied were being eaten alive by rats. Yeah, that was oh. that. That's probably my favorite death. I would rather have the mist suck my life out any day. I, I would rather be eaten alive by the tentacles in the actual mist story. Yeah. Oh my god. So that's that a just, slow, it seems quicker. Painful. I'm surprised that that's like how Lloyd should have died. Yeah. 
in the stand. Okay. Uh, moving on to uh, The Power of Christ Compels You. The Power of Christ Compels You! The, the power, power of Christ, Christ compels you! The power of Christ compels you! Where we talk about religion as it relates to the stories. And we touched on this earlier. The themes of uh, Father Romanoff explaining what's happening with the mist through a Christian context. Versus Mrs. Raven who's explaining it through a pagan context. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I, mean, I think it's pretty straightforward. You got these uh, two conflicting uh, ideas, ideologies, and they're put to the test. And it kind of makes you think that one of them might be right, but then it's like, nah, nah, you're, you're both just wrong. I kind of wanted them both to die when they went out into the mist, because I kind of wanted it to like say to the rest of the people in the church... Neither of these beliefs is wrong. The mist is just here to fucking kill everybody. Yeah, the mist is just the mist. But I think it worked better with what happened. And for for a for a story, yeah. In terms of theming, it confuses it a little bit when you drag out the message that everyone's just gonna die no matter which one of those views you take. Well, for me, like it contributed to the thing where the mist is showing you what you're afraid of, and that's why. The doctor who was slowing people's metabolism down, the mist was slower to attack those people because, you know, they weren't thinking. They were kind of out of mind. They were not catatonic, but... It was one of the reasons why I thought about the mist poisoning people's brains. And that, and that's, to me, why it attacked Father Romanoff and not Mrs. Raven, because she kind of went out there clear of mind, balanced, just trusting... In that booty. Yeah. <laughs> For for an older lady, she has a nice ass. Um, whereas Father Romanoff, he went out there um, saying the Lord's Prayer and having all the probably having all these visions of revelations and hell and, and all of this, and, and that's what happened. Yeah, I really don't got much more to contribute than that. No, I, I'm just kind of... If, if we never get another adaptation of The Mist and if you never get your, your old gods, Mrs. Carmody... It, this was probably the closest I would get. Yeah, and... I think it's cool if if I do rewatch this at some point in my life. That's this is one of the aspects of it that I, I look forward to seeing the most. I would say. Yeah. Okay, so moving on to uh, kiss me, fat boy. <laughs> kiss me, fat boy. <laughs> uh, where we talk about sex and the stories that we experience. Uh, we actually had some like legitimate sex scenes in this. Uh, when it, the flashback of uh, Kevin fucking uh, Eve. Eve, thank I, you. I was watching that it, in my bedroom upstairs while everybody else was asleep, and I, I had to like turn the volume down because I was afraid somebody was going to wake up and think I was like watching softcore porn. <laughs> I mean, because it was pretty close to a softcore porn. Yeah, no, I mean, it was... Uh... I would like to say that we've all been there. I don't know. Uh, where a woman gets aggressive and she just tells you to fuck her harder because she's mad about something or thinking about something from her past. Yeah, like thinking about uh, the actual father of her uh, daughter. <laughs> yeah. Or the uh, fact that your your brother calls her a whore behind her back. So I thought, it, during that scene, I thought after they had sex, she was going to say, your brother is the real dad. That's the, I thought the brother was the real dad based off of all those flashbacks. That's... 
I get that was probably an intentional red herring, though. Yeah, and, and that may have also been something in the writing that they were considering going with at one point, yeah. and, and then went with a. No, yeah, maybe not everything was planned ahead of time. Uh, there's also some real side boob in that I didn't expect. Like, yeah, well, there was more nudity than, than it, I would have guessed. It was more than I would have expected from Spike TV. Mm-hmm. Granted, I haven't watched cable television for like ten years. No, I haven't had cable in about ten years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we also got a legit sex scene with uh, Mia and Jonah in the car at in Adrian's garage. Yeah. Hey, we're gonna go in here and siphon some gas, and they just totally fuck. I'm gonna start uh, calling Quickie siphoning gas. <laughs> hey, uh, you wanna come over here and siphon some gas? <laughs> yeah. That the funniest part for me is like he like you know siphons the gas, he sucks the hose, he gets the gas going, he gets some gas in his mouth. And then they start making out. And I was like, oh, he just had gas in his mouth. Well, with those gas prices, <laughs> what else tastes so sweet? <laughs> so, thank you. Um, all right, so I, I think we could talk about Adrian and Tyler here. Yeah. Um, so what were, what were your thoughts on that relationship, the, the bathroom scene and how it all kicked off and, and then how it progressed? When they looked at each other, I thought for sure they were going to kiss. I was like, there's... But then I was also going, there's no way they're going to... And then they kiss, and then he punches them, and then he goes back up and kisses them again. He, he doesn't just punch him. He, he beats the crap beats out of him, him yeah. Like, to the ground. Like, he might have broken his freaking nose. It looked bad. And I... You know, Adrian, uh, you, you're a rapist piece of shit, but you you, you shot your shot, man. <laughs> you, you saw your shot, and you took it. Kisses him again with blood all over his face, and then... You find out later that they actually had sex. Yeah. He tells me, "Yo, I just had sex." I'm like, cool, fifteen-year-old kid. <laughs> um, Did you just have sex? Uh-uh. <laughs> this guy. And then I, I thought the the scene with them in the psych ward, where they're, where they're sleeping in the same room, where like Tyler kind of offhandedly apologizes to Adrian for what he did to them um, when, when they were younger. And again, uh, you can kind of understand it. It doesn't excuse that kind of homophobia and stuff. No. But you can kind of understand small-town mindsets, uh, expectations of masculinity, uh, not understanding your own feelings and emotions. Yeah, I mean, Tyler is obviously a, re- a repressed homosexual or bisexual adolescent and i can tell you as somebody who's gone through similar stuff that that can really put a damper on your moods yeah obviously like he was he felt an attraction to adrian and and didn't couldn't process that had no mm-hmm. outlet for it and just decided to beat the shit out of him and then piss all over him yeah maybe that's his fetish yeah maybe maybe it, he's into degrading people <laughs> So then, you know, they have the scene where, like, he says all that, and Adrian's like, I forgive you, and then they, like, they spoon, um, and then the the psych patient kidnaps Adrian. Mm-hmm. And you have I that, saw Eve. I see evil. <laughs> I actually thought that scene was great because of where, where Kevin is trying to convince him that he has evil in him. It's like, there's a kid out there who raped my daughter, <laughs> and when I see him, I'm going to shove my hand down into his stomach and pull up his guts and it like cuts to Adrian's face and he's like oh! <laughs> uh oh <laughs> do you promise I'll always be part of your, your family you said I'd always be part of your family <laughs> fuck that 
Let's do it at 15, 16. I don't remember how old they're supposed to be. I think 16. I think you're old enough to know that he ain't going to be a part of anything. No. Um, but after all that happens, uh, Tyler and Adrian have their scene in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Adrian's like, you know, I thought I was going to die in there. And all I, I realized all I ever really wanted to do was hold a guy's hand in public and, and just not give a shit. So I told myself if I lived, I was going to do that. And then he, he grabs Tyler's hand and he, he holds it for a minute. And then Tyler's just like, Boop, and decides to stay in the hospital instead of going with them. Yeah, my house is closer to here. You think Tyler died? I think Tyler makes it. I think he's I think he's going to be the uh, the woman to make it to her kids. You, you think he would have like, showed back up in season two? No. I, I think Tyler was pretty much done. Well, uh, I mean, it kind of implied that everyone else in the hospital died. Yeah. And then, like, he stays there. Like, he's going to be the only person. And it, the way it made it seem is, like, the only safe place was the psych ward. So you're just going to live there forever? The, uh... <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he, he's, he's, he's not coming back. Adrian's coming back. Oh, yeah, because he, uh, he snuck into uh, the Arrowhead car and snuck away in the, the back. He was curled up in the back like a little guinea pig. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you Stephen King? No, I'm Dean Koontz. Oh. So moving on to our some of our last sections here, King and Koontz. Uh, what was your king and what was your Koontz? Uh, my king was Adrian actually being the rapist. <laughs> I'm never going to get over that for the rest of my life. Any Koontz? I, I think that some people, especially like with Alex and Jay, probably needed a little bit more time to get to the points where the writers wanted them to be. Yeah. Um, I probably would have been more forgiving if they would have known for sure they only had one season and this was only ten episodes and it had a fully conclusive story. I'd be like, of course you gotta rush some of this stuff. But when you're writing this and you obviously wrote an ending expecting a season two, that might be my coons, is that you they wrote a cliffhanger not knowing they were getting a second season. Uh, which is the one thing I tell writers not to do, the TV show writers. So, write a conclusion to your stories at the end of every season. Maybe what would have worked better is if, at the point in the story where they're like actually where they're making out in the show, if that maybe would have the point been the point where she kind of like starts to forgive him. Yeah. Just slow down that progression, and it would have worked better. Um. For me, I'd say my king was probably the relationship between Father Romanoff and Mrs. Raven and just the the whole conflict that they have all trying to save the poor souls in the church. I thought that was super interesting. My Kuntz... The first thing I kind of wanted to say was the special effects, but I kind of also want to say, like, for TV special effects, they weren't atrocious. It's not the worst stuff I've ever had to sit through. Um, Then again, we were also just coming off of the special effects from the Mist movie, which even though those are dated, they're still better. Yeah, but I also felt like they could have been much better in the movie. Yeah. I'm I'm willing to forgive bad special effects in a TV show show more readily than I forgive them in a movie. That's fair. 
just because of budget and capability and, and also in the movie where I know that they had like practical tentacles made and then just went over them and began in CG and it's they did the same thing for the Thing prequel. One of these days, I'll have to show you the side-by-side comparisons. It is a sad thing to see. Like, here's what you actually had versus what you put in theaters. Okay, so I'm going to say my Koontz is, uh, is there's no season two. And yeah. and maybe that's that's unfair, but I, I kind of love the Stinger ending, and I wanted to see more. And I guess that's, you know, it's unrealistic, and I know it's not going to happen, but still, I, I wanted to see more. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so speaking of uh, that, we're moving to our homework section where we're going to talk about what we would think would happen in season two. But first, I just want to know your thoughts on the ending itself. Uh, I think it was fine for expecting a season two. It, it sets up the things that you probably want to talk about, uh, which kind of would segue into my theories for season two. Also... If you look at the group of people who survive, there are several people in that car who I would not have guessed would have been survivors. The uh, Vic, the video game store guy, uh-huh. the cop, I would not the, have the guessed cop, them surviving. The cop, I was pretty sure, was going to die getting them like unstuck. Like That was his redemption equals death moment. Yeah. But then, you know, good for them going, no, uh, you don't have to die to get a second chance. Well, I mean, it kind of sets up a subplot in season two where they're exploring his and Alex's relationship where he not she didn't just find out that she had a dad he also just found out he had a daughter yeah because he did not know and I think we've all been there that's confusing <laughs> no 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 um, but yeah I mean that could have led some to some interesting uh, story possibilities also that he lost his son and gained a daughter within the same moment there essentially yeah um but yeah okay so what were what would you what do you think would happen in a season two of the mist okay so they show you at the very end right they're dumping people out into the mist mm-hmm. from a train right so they're obviously bringing people in mm-hmm. so my idea was it was going to be revealed that the mist is going to stay wherever it can eat but feeding it's also making it bigger, so they're trying to figure out a balance between feeding it to keep it in this one spot versus making it too big. And that's and who are they importing? What are and they look like prisoners to me? Why yeah. where are these prisoners coming from? Is it right that they're choosing these people? Because those were the sort of topics the show was talking about. Was who are really the bad guys? Uh, what are your what are you willing to do to survive? Uh, the army is obviously willing to feed this thing that presumably it made. And I was also going to say season two would reveal that, uh, oh, guy's name, Brian? Brian. Okay. Or Jonah. Jonah. Yeah. Uh, that he was the big master. Like, he either developed the mist or he's the one that specifically let it out. He he could be, like, the, the military commanding officer of the unit. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of implied that that doctor, that scientist lady, she was kind of, like, the scientific mind behind it. Yeah. Maybe, they're like, they're the two in charge of it. And it was specifically going, at least, this didn't seem like an otherworldly, we opened a gate to another dimension thing. This seemed a lot more... Like an experiment gone wrong. An experiment gone wrong, which is a little bit more traditional. But that's where I would have gone with season two, or where I thought season two would go. Well, like, the the absence of monsters inside of it yeah. kind of lends to that. 
So my, I was thinking what if kind of went the opposite way and made it so like the military wasn't responsible for it and it is some sort of supernatural phenomenon and they weren't feeding prisoners into it like you said for that reason but using those prisoners as an experiment and maybe they, they like tag these people and they're seeing all right like how fast does this thing kill people if we if we dump like some cons in there like how quickly are they going to die because this thing is expanding it's 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 30 days from new york city we need to know like how long people can survive in it all right i don't know it was just a thought i, I think probably definitely the intention was that it was the result of something the army did yeah but i, I would have been interested to see um it going another direction because that's kind of in the middle I thought they were going that way. Dropping the people off almost made it seem like they intentionally released it just to see what it would do. Yeah, maybe. And so you release it on a small town. Like, who gives a fuck about... Did they change the name of the town? I don't even remember. I don't remember the name. But you you release it in the middle of bumfuck Maine, nowhere. Yeah. To to see what happens. Exactly. Um, I feel like I, I read or watched something recently where, like, the the army like cordons off a small town and uses it for an experiment for something i can't remember what it was but yeah i, I could definitely see that that happening and that that feels very king to yeah. me as well okay so uh just a a few quick king easter eggs uh the r hospital room that jonah is in is room 237 which of course is the one of the more haunted rooms in the overlook and the shining um there's a pretty heavy use of red balloons in the show which of course is a throwback to it and uh mrs raven the actor not the character she actually appears in the castle rock tv show uh and then moving on uh we need to add this to our rankings which i'm gonna pull up our film and tv list okay so uh yours right now is the miss 2007 uh, Batman Gotham by Gaslight, The Stand 1994, The Stand 2020, and Phantoms 1998. Where do, where do you fit it in? Or am I going first? Hold on. Because actually, you went first last time. Yeah, you can go first okay. this time. Yeah, I'm going first. And I think I'm going to piss a few people off here. Um, my list is The Mist Film at the top, then The Stand 2020, The Stand 1994, Phantoms 1998, and then Batman Gotham by Gaslight at the bottom. I'm actually going to put it at number two, uh, under the Mist movie and above the Stand 2020. I, I'm not sure that I could tell you that product. I definitely couldn't say production-wise, it's better than either of the Stand miniseries, but I, it kept my attention better and I enjoyed it more. And I had l there were less things in this show that pissed me off than there were in the the new Stand miniseries. Yeah, so I'm I'm putting it at number two. I'm putting it at number three, right under Gotham by Gaslight. Pretty much the same reasons. And if, I, if it weren't for the Jim Gordon thing, then we would probably have this exact same ranking. I'm I'm sitting here and I'm like, I wasn't expecting this is probably going to be our hot take. This is where we're going to conflict with every other podcast. But Apparently like, that other one didn't even watch it. So, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, I just think that... Like, there were some very strong things in both the Stan miniseries. But, in terms of, you know, 
just consistency and holding my interest. Like, I burned through this show. Yeah. The last few episodes of the both of the stands was kind of hard. No, I agree. Like, I think... I, I just wasn't bored. Like, I was yeah. happy to keep watching from episode to episode. Both of the stand miniseries had really high highs and really low lows, and there there's a part in the like the third episode of the 1994 one where I was just like totally falling asleep. I, I think both of us were able to disconnect this from the name The Mist pretty early on too. And yeah. if you're not able to do that or then you're not going to enjoy it. But I think that both of us got on board with that pretty quickly. And you have to. If, if you've read the book, if you've watched the movie and you love both of those, you have to disconnect them or else you're not going to be able to enjoy it. Like we, we were talking about earlier this probably would have been much better received if it wasn't a Stephen King property, if it was just kind of some sort of B-movie knockoff. Yeah. But then you don't have Stephen King's name for promotional purposes, which no no studio's ever going to make that decision. Yeah. Okay. So this is our hot take for the moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Miss TV show better than the Stan miniseries. <laughs> okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right, so upcoming. Uh, next week, uh, we are going to be discussing uh, Gotham by Gaslight, A Tale of the Batman. That's going to drop on Sunday, April the 3rd. Uh, Sunday, April 10th, we are going to do the film adaptation, Batman, Gotham by Gaslight from 2018, directed by Sam Liu. And then our next book is going to... That episode will drop April... 17th Sunday we're covering Stephen King's Firestarter so you have three more weeks to finish that up it's plenty of time the following week on April 24th we are doing the original Firestarter movie from 1984 with Drew Barrymore and then May the 1st we are finally starting it we are not covering that whole book in one episode we're going to break it up into five parts so our episode that drops May 1st is going to cover book one and the first interlude. The following week, May 8th, we're covering Firestarter 2 Rekindled, which is the two-episode miniseries that's a sequel. Next week, May the 15th, we're covering It Book 2 and the second interlude. May the 22nd, we're going to be covering the new Firestarter adaptation. That's the week it comes out with Zac Efron. And um, the following week, May the 29th, we are going to be covering It Book 3 and the third interlude, and that takes us up to June. So we've got a lot to look forward to. You should be reading Firestarter and finishing that up and, and getting ready to pick up It. We have a lot of fun things to uh, look forward to. It is probably going to be one of our, our big discussions. Yes, for sure. Well, thank you very much for joining me tonight, Daniel. Of course. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and stay scary. Stay scary, everybody. Well, that was horrendous. I would tell you boys good job, but the dryness of my sarcasm would likely evaporate all the moisture in both your bodies. Anyway, if you want to hear more of this, try please subscribe to their YouTube channel by searching for The Horror of Babylon. You can follow them on Twitter at HorrorPod69. The Facebook page is under The Horror of Babylon. And on Instagram, these fools are The Horror of Babylon, one word. Reach their assuredly empty inbox at thehorrorofbabylonpodcast at gmail.com. You can also request their Discord server link via any other channel. And finally, if you are foolish enough to support this abomination financially, search for The Horror of Babylon on Patreon.com. And God save your soul if you do.